Listen to what Amos says in Amos chapter 4, verse 13. He says, For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. And so, Father, we open the scriptures this morning recognizing, Lord, that You are the one who declares to man what are Your thoughts. And there's something so valuable to us here. May we not miss it today, but may we not only have eyes to see, but ears to hear. We pray this often, Father. Ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you come up to me on a Sunday morning and there's a lot of people in the barn and you notice me giving you this kind of expression on my face, it's not for any other reason other than I'm having trouble hearing. (laughs) I've found over the years that my hearing, especially in noisy places with a big group of people, not so easy to hear. I confess this to you. So, you know, and if I miss something or if you say something to me and I and I respond with something completely off the wall or irrelevant, don't assume I'm in the spirit. <laughs> say, let me say that to you one more time, Rick. There, there's a word my kids are getting really used to hearing me say around the house these days, and it's what? Huh? I love it. Hayden the other day came to me and said, Dad, I want to be an old man. I said, Hayden, I wish that for you as well. He said, no, I want to be really old, you know, old grandpa, so that my grandkids can come up to me and go, Grandpa, you are the greatest, you are the coolest, you're the best grandpa in the world, so I can say, eh? It's my boy. How's your hearing? Yeah, see, there, there it is. Same thing, first hour. How's your hearing? What? They say that casual conversation measures in right around around 60 decibels. So just you're talking with someone else, 60 decibels. Ear doctors tell us hearing damage begins to take place at exposure to 84 to 85 decibels. 85 decibels, that's the level of a bulldozer idling. Permanent hearing loss occurs between 110 to 115 decibels. So if the noise level is up that high, you are getting permanent loss of hearing. Growler jets. (laughs) Clock in between 110 and 120 decibels. It's funny, several years ago, the county was telling us that we really can't meet in a barn because the noise level's too loud and you can't learn when there's that kind of noise level. (laughs) Which we've been doing. Granted, our whole congregation is far more deep than we used to be. But that's about the noise level. A thunderclap. A thunderclap is as loud as 120 decibels, even louder than a growler. But all that to say, a rim shot on a snare drum pops in at a good 126 decibels. Now, I grew up a drummer. I started in the fifth grade, played all the way through junior high, high school, college. I played gigs in college. I played in garage bands. I played in jazz bands. And especially as a younger drummer, there was no sound I enjoyed more than a rim shot. And every rim shot is damage to the, to the hearing. I, I, I am convinced I rim shot of the hammer, anvil, and stirrups right out of my ears. 
I wish I hadn't. You know, it's one of those things, you're approaching 50, you're looking back over your life, and, and, and you think, who was that idiot kid that hurt my ears today by the choices he made back then? Hearing is a sensitive thing, and the older I get, the more hearing matters. But I'm not talking about the inner ear as, as much as the inner man. The more it matters to me that I hear in my spirit. Hearing in the spirit is an absolutely true biblical concept. Hearing the Lord. Can you hear God? Just home in between services, Anna Marie, she's home taking care of Cheryl, and, and, and she said, uh, yeah, what are you talking about this morning? I said, I'm going to talk about hearing God. And she said, how do you do that? You know, there's my 16-year-old. How do you do that, Dad? How do you hear? Amos, back in chapter 3, verse 7, said, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. He said, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Now what we hear affects what we speak. And what Amos is saying is, God has spoken, how can I not prophesy? I have heard the word of the Lord. How can I not speak it? How can I not share it? Amos wasn't alone in this. We talked about on Wednesday night, Jeremiah said, God's word in me is like a fire in my bones. I can't hold it in. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. I've got to let it out. Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel chapter 3 that he literally ate a scroll. The scroll was God's word. He ate the scroll. And as he did so, he had to speak. He immediately began prophesying to the exiles in Babylon. We see Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And they're questioning Peter and John and they're telling them to shut up. And Peter and John say, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Acts chapter 4 verse 20. And of course, Paul said, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 Because Paul heard. And Peter and John heard. And Ezekiel heard. And Jeremiah and Amos and Joel and all the prophets heard the Lord speaking to them. How many of you believe that? And yet hearing God remains a sticking point among believers today. Oh, it's fine the apostles heard, it's fine the prophets heard, but most of us just don't hear God speak today. Some look at hearing God as a religious colloquialism. You know, we use that phrase, well, the Lord told me to blah, blah, blah. Well, did He really? Or are you just saying that because that's what Christians say? And a lot of believers secretly, quietly to themselves say, why doesn't He speak to me? I, I, I believe He spoke to the prophets. I believe He spoke to the apostles. I'll even accept that there are other Christians living today who hear God speak. But He just doesn't talk to me like that. I won't ask for a show of hands of people who feel that way. That you assume that the voice of the Lord is just not for you. I want you to listen up this morning. Because I think we have misunderstood something about Scripture and about hearing God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He's talking about the fold of Israel. He says, I have other sheep. 
He says, I must bring them also, speaking of the church, and he says, they will hear my voice. And I find that interesting because he didn't say, they will read my words. They will have some sense of my intentions. He says, they will hear my voice. John 10, 27. He repeats it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Revelation 3.20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I've told you before, the door he's standing at in Revelation 3.20 is the church. And he says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And I beg you this morning not to allegorize that. Not to spiritualize it and say, Well, the idea of hearing is just, you know, impressions. The plain, simple language of Jesus says, My sheep will hear my voice. So if you don't, then part of the question may very well be, Why? Why don't I hear you, Lord? Or, I think a better question, then why don't I hear you, as if implying some kind of spiritual weakness or, or, or limit on yourself. Rather, how can I hear you, Lord? How can I hear you better? Now, I want to warn you ahead of time. We're going to go through chapter 5, the entire chapter of the book of Amos this morning. And you may or may not walk out of here with an immediate sense of of hearing. You might not have immediately improved hearing. Because something I told my daughter an hour ago that I'll tell you right now, hearing is a process. And often takes time, and there's a way to go about developing a greater sense of hearing the Lord. Let's talk about that this morning. And don't forget as we do so, Amos was your average guy. Amos was just a common, unschooled, sheep herder, fig picker from Tekoa. (laughs) But the herdsman heard the Lord. And after hearing the Lord, he blasts into Israel as if a lion is roaring because now he's speaking what he's already heard. And we often ask the Lord to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I pray that strongly this morning. Let's go through chapter 5. Follow this through with me, if you will. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word. It's a good start. Hear this word, which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. Much of chapter 5 is a song. Amos breaks into song, but it's not joyful song, it's a dirge, it's a lament. The word dirge in the Hebrew you've heard before, if you were here when we studied through the book of Lamentations, it's quinah. And in fact, that's the title of the book of Lamentations in Hebrew, the quinah, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Quinah means literally a limping lament. Because it's a Hebrew style of poetry. A quinah is a style of poetry where the line following the first line is one beat less. So you have a line, a rhyme scheme, and then the next line is one beat short of it. And so the poetry limps along as you're reading through it. And it's supposed to express that idea of lamentation, of of sorrow, of, of limping, of weakness. And Jeremiah used that same structure throughout Lamentations. Well now, Amos employs this structure in chapter 5. And I believe one of the best ways you can learn to listen, to hear the words of the Lord, is not even something you can do. It's by limping. It's in your time of, of weakness. It's in your pain. It's in your sorrow that it's amazing how in those times our hearing gets a finer tuning. 
Look at this, verse 2. She has fallen, she will not rise again. The virgin Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. The one time mighty northern kingdom, all powerful northern kingdom, is now going to limp. As a matter of fact, is now going to be all but dead, wiped out, destroyed. You know the story. I mean, we've been over the story so many times across the years. But recognize this, when the northern kingdom was at the absolute height, the zenith of their power, their hearing was at an all-time low. And there's almost an opposite effect. When we're strong, when we're powerful, when it's all good, we're not hearing so well. But when the bottom falls out from under us, when we're crashing and burning, when we're limping or weak or broken, suddenly we're crying out. Suddenly we're able to hear what we could not hear before. Limping. God refers to His people here as the virgin Israel. He's implying that at this point they should be a maiden, a virgin, in the full bloom, the prime of life. And yet rather than that, they're about to be dead. They're going to fall down dead, hence the dirge. She has fallen. That word fallen there in the Hebrew is a word that indicates violent death. And especially when applied in a lament. Well, there's only one who can raise the dead, right? So Israel is about to go down, about to die. When John the Baptist was uh, in prison and sent his disciples over to Jesus to find out, you know, are you really Messiah or should we look for someone else? Listen to Jesus' response, Luke 7.22. He said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You realize what all of those people have in common here? Blind, lame, lepers, deaf, dead, and poor all have one thing in common. They are beyond repair. They're in a place beyond repair. That's the thing that deafness and and deadness have in common. When the ears go deaf, the ears are dead. They're beyond repair. I'm talking about true deafness here. And when the body is dead, it's beyond repair. There's nothing you can do. And the Lord says, this is where you are, the northern kingdom. For your, for your glory and your might, you are beyond repair. And it's about to be evident. They're about to be reduced to a few limping stragglers. A thousand will be reduced to a hundred. A hundred will be reduced to ten. And don't miss this. This is the Lord's doing. This is God bringing about the limping of Israel. Well, is He just fed up with them? Is He just saying, that's it, I'm done, get out of my house, I want nothing to do with you? If that was the case, we wouldn't have the final five verses of the book of Amos, which speaks of Israel's future restoration. But don't miss this. Sometimes you have to destroy something before it can be restored. Anyone who who is in construction understands that. Sometimes you go into a house and a bathroom needs restoration and you look and realize, i got to tear out all the walls, the sink and everything before I can really restore this to function the way it should. The Lord looks at Israel and recognizes they are so far gone, they are so dead, they are so deaf, the only hope of restoration is their destruction. And so 
limping is a great way to learn how to hear. I say that hopefully as comfort for you if you are limping today, if you are weak, if you're in pain, if something is just wrong in your life. Haven't you noticed that? Those are the times when you tend to listen a little more intently to the Lord as opposed to the times when everything is just fine. That's where God restores our hearing. I wonder I wonder if, the, uh, if Job ever heard God speak when his life was good. See, we don't know that. The book of Job starts with his life in the tank, right? What about before that? Did he ever, in all of his righteousness and all of his church going and all of his faithfulness, did he ever once hear the Lord? We don't know. But we do know this. He heard God in his sorrow. He heard God at the end of a 37-chapter soliloquy and conversation with his friends and blah, 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 talk, 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 until finally he shuts up and the Lord says, Job, i got some questions for you. And in Job chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth... Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. And that's the last Job is going to speak, and the Lord speaks, and Job hears him. But it wasn't until the point of his deepest pain that Job was able to actually hear the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.10, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, don't let that fall on your ears, you know, deftly, as though, wow, that's just that. That's Christian speak for humble. No. No, Paul says, in my weakness, I'm strong. In my pain, I find healing. In my sorrow, there is joy. It's an absolute spiritual oxymoron, but that's how it works when we come to the point of needing God. That's when we begin to listen in and listen up. Sometimes you've got to learn to limp to listen. Second way that we learn to hear the Lord is by looking. By looking. Verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live. Seek me, that you may live. And that you may live, you can't see this in the English, but in the Hebrew, it is written in a double imperative. A double command. Seek me, that you may live. The whole idea here is it indicates far more than just existing. Far more than staying alive, which is the best the Bee could ever offer. (laughs) The idea is not just, as so many people do, to exist but to live, to really live in Him. Not just to hear audible sound, but far more to commune with God. Seek Me and you will live. Jesus was surrounded by a large group of people. And He spoke out in prayer. He said, Father, glorify Your name. John chapter 12, verse 28 says, Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God spoke. Interesting, the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. A whole bunch of people didn't hear words at all. All they heard was rumbling. They, they They were not in tune. They were not attuned 
to the voice of God. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him, and Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. I've always found that interesting. If his voice came for their sake, how come they didn't hear it? They heard something audibly going on, but they didn't hear Christ glorified. They didn't hear the Father honoring the Son. How do you do that? How do you hear the glory of Christ? You've got to look for Him. It all comes back to the heart. I find this interesting. I absolutely believe this, that the heart and the eyes and the ears are all connected. That what the one sees affects the other. What the one hears affects the other. And what the heart knows is going to affect the sight and the hearing. You've got to look for Jesus. Jeremiah 29.13 You will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Listen. With all your heart is not church going. With all your heart is not the occasional 20 minutes driving down the road listening to Christian radio. With all your heart, what are you most passionate about in your life? What thrills you beyond belief? What is the one thing that just drives you and you're into and you love to be about and you love to think about and you love to talk about and you love to hear about? That is where your heart is. God says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you want to hear God? Do you want to hear Him? I mean, really want to? Or, or, or is it just more like, well, it'd be cool to be able to say, yeah, He spoke to me last week. Do you want to hear Him? I, a very similar question was posed by Jesus to the lame man laying by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. The guy had been sick for 38 years, the Bible tells us. We don't know exactly how long. He had been laying there by the pool, hoping to roll into the healing waters and get healed. Didn't, wasn't able to do that. And Jesus looks at him and ask this very, very pointed personal question, do you wish to get well? I think he said it just like that. Do you wish to get well? Do you even want to get well? Or have you carved out for yourself a nice little lame life here? A lot of people have done that. They've carved out a nice lame life. And you say, hey, you can hear God. Hey, you can walk with Jesus. Hey, you can be in tune with the Spirit of, of our Creator. And they go, oh, thanks, I'm fine right here by the pool. Kind of lame, but that's okay. For the heart of hearing, do you want to hear God? I believe that's where it begins. Where's the desire of your heart? Do you want to hear Him? Are you looking for Him, or like Israel at this time, are you more looking for a religious sense of well-being? A lot of people go to church for a religious sense of well-being. Let me explain by showing you how not to hear well. Verse 5, Do not resort to Bethel. Do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel will come to trouble. And we've talked about Gilgal and Bethel before. And the question is, where do you go to seek God? Where do you go to hear the Lord? Do you go to a church? Go to a cathedral? Do you hear Him best in a barn? Do you hear Him out on a hike or perhaps in the outdoors somewhere? Where do you go to hear the Lord? The people of Israel went to Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. Bethel and Gilgal we've talked about. Bethel was the place of the golden calf. right? 
Gilgal was the place where the sons of the prophets had their school of prophecy. And that was both of these were two serious religious sites in the northern kingdom, and the people went to these two sites for their religious exercise. Some also made pilgrimage to Beersheba. It's interesting he mentions Beersheba because that's down in Judah. It's not even in the northern kingdom. It's in the southern uh, tip of Judah, the northern edge of the, of the Negev, the wilderness there. Why are they making pilgrimage down to Beersheba? In Beersheba, Abraham called upon the Lord. In Beersheba, God spoke audibly to Isaac. Genesis 26. In Beersheba, God spoke to Israel. That is Jacob. Genesis 46. So in Genesis 21, 26, and 46, we have the, the Lord communing with, speaking to, interacting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people would go down to Beersheba and say, Whoa, this is where it happened. On our last tour, a group of us went down to Beersheba. We saw Tel Sheva. We saw the well of Abraham. It's been there 4,000 years. Amazing. But we're walking around this dusty, you know, archaeological ruin. And I'm thinking, it's fascinating, it's interesting, and I am no closer to God right here than I am back home in the barn. I'm not hearing Him any better here than I do anywhere else. But the people would trek all the way down to Beersheba. They would go to Gilgal, they would go to Bethel for religion, for tradition, and for heritage. And of these three things, they figured, that's all we need. Religion, tradition, heritage, and we're good to go, and they're still doing it when Jesus came. John eight fifty three. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. (laughs) The Pharisees freak out. They say, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Famously, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And it wasn't bad English. Before Abraham was born, he said in the Hebrew, Yahweh, I am. And they lost it. They completely lost it. Why? Because it rattled their religion. Because it hammered on their heritage. Because it tripped up their traditions. And they're stuck with, with, how do we deal with this guy who's going so outside of the box? I like the box. I like being lame by the side of the pool. I don't want to hear. The people were looking to those three areas. And Jesus very simply was saying, seek me. Seek me. It is not about your church. It is not about your upbringing. It is not about your heritage. It is about me. Seek me. If you want to hear the Lord, you got to be looking for Him. Not some other, again, religious sense of well-being. Verse 6, he says again, Seek the Lord that you may live, or He will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph. That's, that's Israel. And it will consume with none to quench for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. Wormwood is a plant that yields a dark green bitter oil. Very bitter. Amos will refer to it again in Amos chapter 6, verse 12. You've turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. 
We know in, in the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 8 tells us, at the sounding of the third trumpet, during this time where the trumpet judgments are happening, there are seven trumpet judgments in the great tribulation, and a trumpet sounds and things happen, the third one sounds, and we're told a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood. Interesting, the Russian translation of that, you Bible students may be familiar with this, the Russian translation of wormwood is? Chernobyl. The nuclear disaster that happened in Chernobyl. Interesting connection. Maybe we'll talk about that sometime. I want to answer a question, though, that I know is on some of your hearts and minds this morning, and that is, how do you cultivate bitterness? I really want to be bitter. I want a life that's bitter. I want to be a grumpy, bitter old man. So how do I go about that? Well, I can tell you how this morning. It's very simple. Ignore justice, reject righteousness, and neglect the love of God. Do those things, you will become a bitter old person. Luke 11.42, Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees. You pay a tithe of mint and rue and every garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And by the way, religion in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a tool. Tradition doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's a tool. Same with our heritage. But if it's all about those things, that's when it becomes a problem. Jesus said you should have done those things. You should have done righteousness and justice and focused on the love of God without neglecting the others as well. Those are tools to help you. But we focus so much on the tools, they become the focus. They become our religion. The hard of hearing are those who are blind to justice and hard of heart. They don't hear the Lord. Listen, they don't hear the Lord because they don't take Him at His word. When the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. When we read in the Hebrew Scriptures, God said. Do you know what that word said is in the Hebrew? What it means? It means said. It means said. He spoke. He spoke His Word. The reason we have the Word is because He spoke His Word so the people could hear it and write it down. He said. But the heart of hearing, they can't hear because they don't take Him at His Word. They don't believe he means what he says and says what he means. And so Amos says, let me give you a little divine documentation about who it is that we're talking here. Verse 8, He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is His name. It is He who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Your God, your Creator, the power of all things, the Maker of the universe. That's who we're talking about here. And He doesn't speak to hear Himself talk. His Word does not come back to Him empty. It's not a random thing. And the voice of God, my friends, can be so gentle. But it can also thunder. Psalm 29. Uh, Let me just read this to you. Psalm 29 could be called the psalm of the seven thunders. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. 
the Lord is over many waters. Second, a second time he says the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord, third time, is majestic. The voice of the Lord, fourth time, breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks and pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Fifth time, the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. Sixth time, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord, seventh time it's mentioned, makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare in His temple. Everything says glory. The Lord's speaking. And in Revelation chapter 10, John refers to the voice of God as the seven thunders. The seven thunders. Why? Because Psalm 29 gives us seven instances of the Lord speaking and His voice thundering. The point is this. You don't hear the Lord by looking to religion or tradition or heritage. You don't hear the Lord even by looking to the stars. You hear the Lord by looking to to the Lord. But the people were deaf, they were blind, they were hard-hearted. Verse 10, They hate Him who reproves in the gate, they abhor Him who speaks with integrity. Amos is describing here a fair and righteous judge. The man who's in the gate, who reproves in the gate. The gate was where the court took place. There's in the gate of the city, that's where they held court. And the judge sitting in the gate, Amos says, if he's fair, if he's right, if he's honest, if he's a man of integrity, the people don't like him. A nation gang is in trouble when fairness is called bias. A nation is in trouble when integrity is called arrogance. When honesty is hate speech, and when truth is whatever you make it. And we have made this comparison over and over, but a nation in trouble is a nation that does not listen to God. And we see this with Israel. We have the pattern before it, before us. And we see this in our nation today. A nation that is increasingly not listening. Verse 11, Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great, you who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor at the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Why would the prudent keep silent? The word prudent there, sakal in the Hebrew, is the wise, the understanding. And Amos says there is a time when wise people stop speaking. Why? Why would a wise person not speak? Because nobody's listening. Because all of your effort, your energy, all of the wind that you're expelling in speaking truth is not being received. And I'll tell you this. There is a time in your personal relationships where you have tried and tried and tried and tried to bring the gospel to a person, there is a time where you can save your breath. Because they're not hearing. They don't want to hear. They will not listen. The ears are deaf to your words. And the wise person says, there's nothing more I can say. So what do you do? You just give up on people? No, you pray. You continue to pray. You pour out to God in prayer. You bring this person's name before the Lord constantly But there is, I believe, a time when you save your breath because they are no longer listening to what you're saying. Verse 14, 
third time he says this, seek good and not evil that you may live. He said before, seek the Lord that you may live. Seek me that you may live. That's the whole point. If you want life, if you want to live, seek me. Seek good and not evil. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you just as you have said. Notice that. The people of Israel were saying, God's with us. He's with us. What are you talking about, Amos? What's the big deal? We got God. We got plenty of God. We got religion all over the place. We do. Here in America, as I said last week, we got plenty of religion. That's not the problem. But to say God is with us? The people assumed He was there because of their religion, tradition, and heritage. Twenty years later, the prophet Micah comes on the scene. Chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. And twenty years after that, northern Israel fell. It's not going to happen to us. God's here. So what's he talking about there in verse 14? He's making a parallel. Note this. If you really have the Lord with you, it will affect your behavior. If you really hear the Lord, you're going to act differently because of what you hear. You're going to, as verse 15 says, you're going to hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And then Amos says, perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So is Amos saying there's still a chance? (laughs) I don't think so. I think Amos is longing for a chance. I think Amos is longing for Israel's restoration. Perhaps, he says, the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph, and that's the key word, the remnant. The remnant. God will be faithful to the remnant of Joseph. God will be faithful to the remnant of Israel in the last days. There is, as we've talked about so many times, a remnant of Israel that will be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's going to happen in an amazing way. But Amos is looking ahead to that. Amos is yearning here. Amos is longing for what is coming. You see, the Apostle Peter said the prophets all had the Spirit of Christ speaking to them. And they longed to know at what time or what place Messiah was going to come. When all this was going to take place. They longed to know these things. 1 Peter 1.11 And that is a third way to develop ears that hear the Lord. Longing. Longing. Look at verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, Alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning, and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there is wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. That gives us a little sense of God's power over Assyria, of God's power eventually over Babylon, and of these nations doing His bidding. Alas, note this, verse 18, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. Or goes home and leaves his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness, 
in it. Now, note this. Obadiah and Joel had both already spoken at length about the day of the Lord a century earlier. So the people of Israel had the prophecies. They had awareness. In fact, it's obvious as Amos is speaking that there are some there longing for the day of the Lord. Hey, what what Joel talked about. Remember that? Yeah, what Obadiah brought up. Yeah, that's what we need. We need that day of the Lord. And what Amos here is doing is clarifying, Israel, day of the Lord is not a good thing for you. It's not good. It will be your deliverance in days far future. But not now, Amos would say. It's not going to be until after Jacob's distress. Jeremiah would come along 150 years after the fact. He would say, alas, for that day is great. There's none like it. It's a time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. Now what I'm saying here, and get this, there are people in Israel who are looking forward to, longing for the day of the Lord. That's what we need. We need the day of the Lord to come. And Amos is saying, you don't get it. The day of the Lord is a bad thing for you. Well, why don't they understand that? Because the misapplication of Scripture can really mess with a person's hearing. Having the Bible taught in a way that is unbiblical can mess you up and can affect your ability to hear the Lord. Longing is key, but there are three kinds of longing, and I think we see them alive and well in the church today. There is misinformed longing. This is the person who hears the words of man over the Word of God. I share first hour. If you were paying attention in the news this week, you know the Presbyterian Church of the USA had their biannual meeting. And in that meeting, two years ago, two things were on the docket to be voted on by this particular denomination. Gay marriage and divestment of Israel. That is, removing all investments into things that have anything to do with Israel. And two years ago, uh, they didn't have enough votes to bring those two about. Last week they did. So the Presbyterian Church has now stood up and they have rewritten their charter so that it literally says that marriage is between two people rather than between a man and a woman. And they have accepted divestment from Israel, which means they're going to be removing millions of dollars from companies who have anything to do with Israel, like uh, Motorola. Um, what's what's the, the other one, Clark? Yeah, the Caterpillar. What's the Caterpillar company? Is it Caterpillar? That's just the name? Caterpillar, right. Caterpillar! Motorola, Caterpillar, I think HP was one of those. Only because Israel happens to use Caterpillar equipment, we're going to divest from them. It's so insane. And the reason why it's insane, and the reason why I'm mentioning this and saying, and if you're Presbyterian, I'm not sliding you, but I'm telling you what, the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America board is wrong. Because they are misinforming now their people. They are misinforming the church. And there are people in Presbyterian churches who will go, oh, that's the way it is? Okay. Misinformed. You're listening to the words of man rather than the words of God. And this is exactly what the Bible said was going to happen. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But rather wanting to have their ears tickled, they will tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I don't like the way Rick teaches good, you're in the right place. <laughs> they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And I give you this warning all the time. I give it to you again today. Test everything you hear against the Word of God. 
Not by the words of man. Not by a belief statement. I'm so thankful that nobody comes up and says, Hey Rick, what's our statement of faith? I think you probably know what the answer would be. Here you go. Read up. There's a quiz later. The misinformed. Longing for things that they are misinformed about. Then there's the uninformed. This is the person who's just content not to hear. I don't really care. You know? This is the person who knows Jesus is coming but doesn't really give a rip how. Maybe someday, you know, that's going to happen. That's kind of an out there by and by type of a deal thing. That was Israel. They heard something about the day of the Lord, but they were completely deaf to its application. They didn't understand it. James says in James 1.22, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The misinformed, the uninformed, and then you've got the person who's longingly informed. The informed longer. (laughs) And that's the listener. That's the person who hears God's word. Why do we spend so much time in Bible prophecy at the bridge? Partially because we're going through the Bible and nearly a third of the Bible is prophecy. So there's really no way around it. But also, gang, because the Word of God is the great listen up of all history. That the Word of God is God speaking to us. Opening our ears to the things of His concern. Now hold that thought for a minute. I want to ask you one last question. And we're almost done. Is there ever a time when God stops listening? When He no longer hears, when He shuts His ears to a people? Look at verse 21. I hate, I reject your festivals. Nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, I don't know about you, but I have trouble reading the Scripture and not personalizing it. I don't read something like that and go, man, Israel was messed up. What I do is I read that and go, is that me? Would God ever say after a Sunday morning of worship at the bridge, take away from me the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the sound of your harps? Why would He do that? If our worship is pretense. If our worship in here on Sunday does not reflect the worship of our lives the rest of the week. If we're just playing religion games as John Foreman writes it. I I think John Foreman, lead singer of, of Switchfoot, I think he was studying this when he wrote a song on one of his little side releases, a song called Instead of a Show. Listen to these lyrics. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise. The hypocrisy of your festivals, I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship, away with your noisy hymns. I stomp on my ears when you're singing them, I hate all your show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services. There's blood on your hands. You turn your back on the homeless. And the ones that don't fit in your plan, quit playing religion games. There's blood on your hands. 
Instead, he says, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. I mean, that's convicting. This passage is convicting to me because it does take me right back prior to the first note of sung worship to think, where was my heart when I came in here this morning? And where is my heart with the Lord? And maybe there's a reason some weeks in Rick's life I don't hear as well as other weeks. Maybe there are reasons why there are seasons I am not hearing the Lord. Because He's not going to listen to me. He says to Israel in verse 25, Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikut, your king, and Cayune, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Gang, this is mind-boggling. In the 40 years, 38 really, that, that Israel wandered in the wilderness... Did you know during that time that they took along with them uh, Sikut and Kayun? And do you even know what those are? I didn't. Sikut is a play on the word Sukkot. Sukkot is the Hebrew word for tabernacle. And while the Jewish people had the tabernacle and they would move about in the wilderness, led by the Lord, fed by the Lord, at the same time they had Sukkot, they also had Sikut, which was a shrine for the god Molech. They carried a shrine, another tabernacle, for Molech with them through the wilderness. And on top of that, Kiyun, a statue crafted for the god Saturn. A statue that, that encouraged them to look to the stars and, and pray to the stars. And they carried these things with them right fresh out of Egypt en route to the promised land promised by their god. And I read that verse and I thought, God, why didn't you just crush them in the wilderness? At one point he wanted to, you may recall. Why not just put them out of their misery right then and there? I'll tell you what. That's a God of grace. There is no other answer for that than mercy. Compassion. That His tabernacle is set up in the midst of Israel, and yet while they're worshiping Him there, He knows right over here there is a sakut to Molech. And this is going on. And I'm so thankful this doesn't go on in the church today. <laughs> oh, we're in worship, Lord! We've got our little tabernacle, you know, right over here. It's a wonder to me God hadn't already destroyed them. And some say, God hasn't done anything in a couple thousand years, at least if you go by your Christian stuff. He's not going to do anything. His silence, some say, God's silence means He's not there. I tell you, His silence is His patience and His willingness to wait. He's not slow about His promise, as Peter said. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So does God speak today or not? Does He speak to people? Go back to chapter 4, verse 13. We'll end there. Amos 4, verse 13. 
Again, for behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. He declares to man his thoughts. So if we say God doesn't speak, then we are contradicting God's word. Amos says he declares to man his thoughts. As I sat there in between services with Anna Marie, I said, what does that mean, Anna Marie? What does it mean for you to declare to me your thoughts? And Anna Marie said, Dad, it means I'm talking to you. And I said, right. Does God speak? Absolutely. The only way I know to declare your thoughts is with words. You want to know what's on my mind? Let's have a conversation. I will tell you what I'm thinking. How do we hear the thoughts of God? By His Word. You realize that every word in Scripture was spoken by God. That He said this. And this is not a cop-out. Stay with me. It's not a cop-out to audibly hearing the Lord speak. It is the key. If you are among those who say, I would love to hear the Lord. Beyond impression, I would really love to hear the voice of Jesus. The key is the Word of God. The first key. (laughs) It's where it starts. His Word trains our ears, and I've said this before, His Word trains our ears to recognize His voice. You want to hear God? You need to be in His Word. And the more you're in His Word, guaranteed, the more you are in His Word, the more you will hear God. Acts chapter 18, verse 5, tells us Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. And check this out. Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Paul, who heard Jesus on the day that he, his life was changed, on the day of his conversion. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, is, who are you, Lord? He says. And Jesus spoke to him. He heard the Word of the Lord. And then he devoted himself to God's Word. And later, he heard more. How is it that Paul was able to write so much of what we call the New Testament? Because he heard the Lord. How did he hear the Lord? Because he was devoted to the Word of the Lord. And the Word is the key. Romans 10.17, Paul said, Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. Now, people like to point out that the word word there is rima. It's the Greek word for spoken word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the spoken word of Christ. And again I say, don't you realize the entire Bible is the spoken word? Written down. But originally spoken and heard. And furthermore, the word of Christ is the key to the key. The first key to unlocking ears that hear God is the word. The second key, my friends... He declares to man what are his thoughts. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes in John 1.18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. God has given us his Word, and then he gave us his Word. 
He put on flesh and dwelt among us and showed us God. We could see in a human being, God. How God thinks. What's important to God. What's on His heart. How He moves. How He treats people. That's God. And as we listen to Jesus, we begin to hear God better. But there's another key. He takes it a step further than that. God didn't just give His Word written. He didn't just give His Word in flesh. (laughs) He takes it to the perfect spiritual decibel level, a level where anybody can hear if you're born again. Because the person who is born again has the indwelling Spirit of God living with them. And so Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Now you think about that kind of intimacy when His Spirit indwells you. And Paul uses those exact words, 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. What that means is even in my thoughts, if I have the mind of Christ, if I have the Spirit of Christ, I can hear what's on His heart. And to me, that's even far more valuable than audibly hearing. So you say, we can't audibly hear the Lord? No, I believe we can. I have. And I believe that you can audibly hear God. But what I'm telling you is if you want to hear the Lord, it's got to be more than a carnival trick. It's got to be more than uh, the voice thundering out of the heavens. It's got to be more internal than that. It's got to be so life-changing that I am thinking His thoughts. His Word speaks into my heart. And I think He wants us to develop ears to hear Him. To hear Him through understanding, yes. To hear Him audibly speaking into our lives, yes. But to hear Him as He impresses on our spirits by His Spirit what the will of God is. Keep listening to the Word and you will hear God. I promise you. But you're not going to hear Him if you're not giving Him the time of day. And so, Father, I ask for this blessing this morning that we would hear Your voice that we would be led by Your Spirit, that we would make use of the mind of Christ, that we wouldn't take this as a religious thing or a traditional thing or something of our old heritage, but Father, we would be walking with You in Your Spirit. And Lord, I realize this morning, even in talking about this, this isn't a one-two step. This is a, a process of relationship. So, so Lord, lead us in a relationship with You. And I pray that You would give this fellowship ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to the larger church. Tune our ears to hear You speak. In Jesus' name, Amen.